A reading from the first epistle of John, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When He is revealed, we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He is. And all, and all who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Dear ones, it has been the custom in the church that when two readings are read and the gospel reading is read, the church has stood for the reading of the gospel. And I invite you to stand and hear the words of our Lord. Please stand as you are able. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a reading. The fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage begins with Jesus doing something interesting. Something that people don't, be able, don't seem to be able to do very well today. Seeing. Actually not noticing someone, but seeing someone and appreciating who and what they are in the moment of seeing. We are told, Jesus saw the crowds. It begins with the words, when Jesus saw the crowds. Jesus sees the people who have gathered around Him that day. People. People like you, people like me, people just like 
us, all of us who have gathered around Him today. People. People like us. Humans being. Now granted, we're all humans being. We're all human beings. But what characterizes life is humans being, living. And Jesus looked and saw people who were being, people who were struggling, humans struggling, humans wrestling, humans laughing, humans loving, humans mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Humans crying, humans feeling, humans hungering, humans thirsting, and humans longing for something more. How like us they were. Jesus speaks, I think, to their conditions that He saw. The people that He saw called these words from Him. These words of blessing, these words of promise, these words of happiness. Their conditions, their being just like us. None of us are immune to struggle. None of us are immune to hurts. None of us have lives that are void of laughter. None of us have lives that are void of longing. The human condition has not changed since Jesus walked the earth. We are the same. The same needs, the same desires, the same wants, the same brokenness, the same, the same, the same. And Jesus speaks to their conditions, so it's possible that if we hear them, we might hear Jesus speaking to our condition. To our hurts and our disappointments and our struggles and our joys. We might hear how it is that God plans to respond. That is Jesus' position. That those that He names are blessed because God is doing something for them. I've heard someone say before that the Beatitudes are the ethics of the kingdom of God, and I don't think so. I think what they really are is a promise to us of what God is doing about the human condition, about the hurts that we are all surrounded with. Jesus lifts up a present condition, and then He lifts up what will be. Not what might be, what God might do, but what God is doing. And they are promises that we can latch onto and hold on to. Listen to what He says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are beat down and broken. How can they be blessed? You know, the interesting thing is that the Greek word for blessed there also means happy. How can they be happy? How can they be blessed if they're broken in spirit? Because God, because God will give them the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn. What we kind of do today, remembering Gladys and Dean and their spirit and their joy and their laughter and their... Their kisses on the cheek, more Gladys than Dean. 
Do you know that for a couple months after Gladys died, after I did her service, one of the things I remembered about Gladys is that she always kissed me. Always. For a couple of months after she died, one of you kissed me every Sunday and said, that's from Gladys. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because God will comfort us. I wonder if you've ever had that experience of being comforted in your mourning. I remember when my mother died. Sitting at my dad's house and getting a call from Robert Smoke, Dr. Bobby Smoke. We called him Bobby Doc. Telling me that he and his wife Debbie were on the way to my dad's house. And they came in and greeted me and told me they were sorry for my loss and handed me a six-pack of Diet Coke. And it seems like a funny story to me now, but in that moment, God was comforting me through God's people. How many times has God sent you into the heart of one of your loved ones, one of your friends, to offer words of hope and life in the midst of death? How many times has God sent someone into your life to speak those words? Jesus looked out and saw people who were mourning. He looked out and saw people who were beat down whose spirits were broken, and He promised them that God is doing something about it. His very presence in the world marked a change that the broken in spirit are being given a kingdom. And that those who mourn, the psalmist is right, he's saying, your mourning will turn into dancing. The time is coming when your joy will be restored. And today we anticipate that joy by remembering that in the communion of the saints, that in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, Gladys and Dean and everyone else we have named are still alive to us. Because they are alive to Christ. And we are in Christ. The mourn, those who mourn, will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. Not in this world. In this world, the meek are bullied. They're turned into sport. In this world, the meek are overrun. They're the little kid that stood in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square and threw rocks at it. Remember him? But Jesus said God is doing something about that. And that the meek will inherit the earth. Do you know there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, church? And who will inherit it but those who have turned to Christ for their strength? Blessed are the meek, he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why are they blessed? Because God will fill them. Blessed are the merciful. Not in our world. We want a pound for a pound, an onion for an onion, blood for blood, eye for eye. We treasure that. We speak it like that's what Scripture means, but all Scripture meant was to limit punishment to the crime. But we speak it as if vengeance is ours. But who claimed vengeance for his own? The Lord God. And so our Christ says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. From who? From God. And so Jesus would say to the people, Don't condemn lest you be condemned. 
Don't judge. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, because God will give them mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. By who? By the people on the earth? No, they're called fruitcakes. They're called hippies. They're called malcontents. They're called the 99%. They're called all kinds of ugly names. All those people who march and protest against government brutalities and brutalities in the streets and gang warfare. All those people who stand up and say enough are called horrible names by people who are invested in the problem. Since when have peacemakers been applauded in our nation? Ever? Ever? We can apply it to our military and that works and so we do that. Because in a lot of ways, God has used them to bring peace. God used the American GI to rid the world of Hitler and others. And they have been peacemakers. But ultimately, God's not referring to soldiers here. He's referring to anybody who will stand up in the face of oppression and say enough. And when have they been celebrated in the world other than military folk? Never. Never. But Jesus says God calls them His own children. All of those who will stand up and proclaim that peace is the way of God. Then Jesus has the gall to say that People who are persecuted are blessed. People who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And that's the gospel, but it won't sell well on TV. You can't build a megachurch with that gospel. But Jesus wants us to know today that when people laugh at us for our faith, we're blessed. You're blessed. Why? Because they laughed at everyone else that God has ever called. Ever called to be merciful, to be meek, to be a peacemaker. At every other person that God has ever called to live that kind of life, they have laughed. And the mocking continues today. People who want to live the way that Jesus talks about are called weak. Socialists, they're laughed at and derided. And Jesus says, they've always laughed. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus here is speaking about a time of reversal. A time when it won't be the strong who have all of the world's best. A time when it won't be the loud who are heard. A time when it won't be the aggressive bully who gets his way. A time when it won't be all of those who live in their own strength who hold power. But it will be the people of God who have carried a cross through this life. And why would Jesus tell us that? Why would Jesus think we need to know these things? Why would Jesus feel the need to tell us that if we are broken in spirit, 
God is going to do something about it. That God is going to do something about those who mourn. That those who are meek will inherit the earth. Why would God tell us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be filled? Why does Jesus feel the need to tell us all these things? That the pure in heart will see God. Why does Jesus feel a need to tell us these things? Because Jesus knows that living the life he's calling us to live in this world is exhausting. And it drags us in to hurt. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. And Jesus saw all these people and all their brokenness and all of their ways of being and their thirst for hunger, their thirst for righteousness, their thirst for something different and knew that following him would be exhausting for them. And it reminds me of a story I heard one time about a woman who went hiking. She was walking along And as she came up a hill, the hill kind of crested. And in the distance, maybe 40 yards, she could see a really large boulder. And as the people who broke the trail came along, they had decided to go around the boulder instead of moving, even though it would have been more convenient for the hikers to move the rock, to move the boulder. But they went around it. And one day as she was walking there, she came over the hill, she saw the big gigantic boulder, And as she saw it, she heard in her spirit, push it. Push it. She felt drawn to it, unable to go around it, unable to skirt it like all of the thousands of hikers who had come before her. And she stood and she looked at that big giant boulder and she felt in her heart that she should push And she walked up to the boulder and put her hands against it. And she felt an overwhelming compulsion. Push, push, push as hard as you can and don't quit. Push, push the boulder. And so she stood with her arms pushing and her body extended with all of her weight. She pushed from her thighs to her calves to her shoulders with every muscle and every sense of determination she had. She pushed and she pushed and she pushed as hard as she could day and night without eating, without drinking. She pushed, believing that there must be a purpose to the pushing. She pushed and she pushed. And only when exhaustion overtook her, and only when necessary, she would stop. And she pushed that boulder every day for two months. She stood and she pushed. Believing it was all up to her to move the boulder. And she became exhausted. From the constant pushing. And you know, that's a lot like living in this life when you follow Christ. When you hear Him talk about being meek and all these things, and you hear about all this stuff about shapes our life, and people calling this an ethic, and you think, gosh, that's exhausting. 
And the constantness of death and disappointment and hurt and struggle in this life exhausts and exhausts and exhausts us. And the constant polemics and the constant arguing in our political system exhausts and exhausts and exhausts us. And the constant bickering amongst Christians and the constant gossiping amongst our neighbors and the constant this and the constant that and the constant sorrow and the constant hurt becomes like some big dang boulder plopped down out of the sky in the middle of a path that we feel like we have to put push and push and push and push and so we push and we get exhausted and we say God move the boulder and the boulder stays and we come here again today to push and light a candle for Gladys and Dean because the boulder of death is still firmly in the way and the boulder of hurt and the boulder of struggle and all those boulders that we face are still firmly in the way And she pushed that boulder in her path and pushed it. And finally, finally in her desperation, she seemed, God, why won't it move? I thought you wanted me to move this boulder. And in her heart, she heard these words. I called you to push the boulder, not to move it. Look at yourself. Look how strong you have become. And that's Jesus' word to us, church. We're not called to push all the hurt and horror out of the world. We're just called to push. It's not up to us to roll the boulder down the hill and get rid of it. Jesus' promise to us is that day is coming. And it's held in these beatitudes, in these statements of blessing and happiness. That we are blessed when we're broken in spirit because we're turning to Christ. And He promises us that the kingdom of heaven is ours. We're blessed when we're meek. We're blessed when we're merciful. We're blessed when we're peacekeepers. Even though they revile and laugh and mock us for it and say we're weak. We're blessed because our God says differently. And our God is making all things new and all things right. And Christ will move the boulder. And so the Apostle Paul tells us that all our enemies will be defeated, but Christ sits at the right hand of God with His foot on a footstool waiting for the last enemy to be defeated. And the last enemy is death, he says. And one day, death will have its end when the Christ calls all of us from the grave and raises us up and Gladys and Dean and all of our loved ones and we will live again. And the kingdom, the kingdom will be given to all of those who have called the name of Christ. And so Jesus is telling all these broken people in front of Him, don't stop pushing. The boulder will move. He has called the church to push. To be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who pushed back against the Nazis. To be like Mother Teresa who pushed back against poverty and injustice. To be like all of the people in your life who've pushed back against lack of faith and doubt. He's called us to push so that we too can grow stronger. The promise of the Beatitudes 
is that the reversal is coming. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so in the Beatitudes, Jesus paints us a portrait of what God is really like. That God gives the kingdom to those who are broken in spirit. That God gives the earth to the meek. That God gives mercy to the merciful. That God will fill those who hunger and thirst. That God will show God's self to those who are pure in heart. That God will give the kingdom of heaven to those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The boulder will move, he says. And the question for us today, church, is do we trust these words of Jesus? Do we trust them? As we come to this table today, do we trust His promises? That the broken, the meek, the merciful, the persecuted, the reviled, have a place in His kingdom? I'll invite you to answer that question in your own heart today as you come to receive His body and blood. Do you trust His promise? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.